0: In our culture, everything is based on success. But what is success? And who to find it? That's the big question. Is it measurable? Can you obtain it? Can you dream it? Can you hold it? I'm on a quest to redefine how we view success, and I'd like to bring you on this journey. Welcome to Be Fulfilled. Welcome to Be Fulfilled. It is the real stories behind success. You know, just for a moment, just imagine if we took money and it wasn't available to use as your answer today, then you get a chance to define what success is. We're going to talk to a gentleman today, this is episode 51, who has devoted his life to selfless service, protecting his autistic older brother, Andy, to joining the fight against terrorism as a United States Federal Air Marshal. This gentleman has been guided by the instinct to serve and protect. So what I want to do is welcome our guest and we're going to go up success mountain on a pretty quick journey because this guy's in shape and I'm not. So I think he's going to put me on his back and we're going to get running to the top. I'm going to Sherpa you guys all the way there today. And then he's going to bring us down with a lot of cutbacks and he's going to tell us a lot about stories that he's learned along the way. And now what he's up to in his career is still that person who protects and serves, but every day leads in that selfless service. So please welcome to the show, Matt Kubler.
1: Thank you for having me, man. I'm stoked. This is one I've been waiting for for a long time.
0: So, hey, here's what we're going to do. Definition of success. What does it mean to you?
1: Success to me is doing what you're passionate about, that you have a purpose to do, and you do it with intention. Yeah, I've lived a life. I wrote a tagline for my business, living a life of selfless service, worthy of remembrance. And my goal in life is to help other people find success. And when you talk about selfless service and what the service mean and being of service to somebody you know, you've heard the term lip service. You've heard all these different terms with service in them, and, and some are good and some are bad, but selfless service can never be bad when you do it with the sole intention of helping someone else with nothing in return required. And that that's really my life story. That's what I wanted to do my whole life.
0: You know, most kids at four five and six are like, hey, we'll go outside and scrape knees and play, you know, hide and go seek, tic-tac-toe, want to go play hopscotch. Did something happen early on in your life that led you down this path? Because it says like you got an older brother, you know, an older autistic brother. But where did this really come into play for you? Do you remember kind of a a point, a pivotal time in your life where you said, this is it, this is who I want to be, and this is how I want to show up in the world?
1: Yeah, actually. So growing up in an urban town, suburban Philadelphia, poor, my dad left my mom when I was about nine months old, and my mom worked three jobs, you know, that story, and lived in public housing. And I had my older brother, Andy, who was autistic and stuttered beyond anything you've ever heard in your life. I've always was driven to protect him. So I didn't know necessarily whether or not it was a service component there or selfless service, but I was always looking out for my brother. And when I was about 10, I had a neighbor who he was getting beat up pretty bad by his dad. And I saw him get thrown through his back screen door while I was outside playing one day. And I went and I grabbed him and I took him to my house and I walked in the front door and I punched his dad square in the stomach and then ran out the front door. And it was at that moment when I kind of realized that I was meant to protect people. I was meant to be there for people and to be the person that helps them through their problems or out of their current situation. So that's kind of always been, since that point, I really recognized it as what I wanted to do with my life.
0: When you look back at your life now versus where you came from, and you think about that moment walking into that neighbor's house, punching that dad in the stomach, paint the picture of kind of emotions for you as a child, knowing no better than what you knew growing up in this, you know, just call, I'm going to just call it not the good class. You just grew up, right? right? Tell me what life felt like for you day to day. What was your mindset like? Did you look at everybody else and say, man, I want to be like that? Or did you just know better and just kind of exist?
1: Well, I mean, I always knew what the other side looked like. I had friends that had money. You know, I was the kid and my mom would, you know, this was in the seventies. So, you know, I'm 47 years old. So back when I was in like middle school is when eyes odds were cool and the Oxford shirts, And we couldn't afford it. My mom would buy our sneakers and been at the end of the bit of the shop, right? You know, they're Bobos, look like Chuck Taylor's basically is what a Bobo looked like. We'd go to Kmart, get sneakers, and they would be the plain ones. And I would draw the Adidas on the back of my sneaker in marker to make it look like I had Adidas sneakers. And my mom would put buttons on the butterfly collars and tack them down. So I looked like I had an Oxford. So I was very aware of the fact that we didn't have much, but I was also very aware that I was in a house where I was loved. And my mother. Now,
0: don't you think that's an important that's an important ingredient? So many people skip
1: over. Yeah,
0: they talk. Yeah, I had a tough upbringing. Life was hard, but you got to talk about that you were loved. That's a gift.
1: That changed everything. It yeah. really does. You know, my mom. You know, I, I knew how hard she worked. You know, she would she'd work all day, come home, have dinner. She'd go to her evening job, come home, sleep for four hours, get up at four in the morning, and do it all over again. And. I recognized how much sacrifice meant to her and how much her sacrifice gave to me and my brother. You know, we didn't have much, but what we had was enough. And my mother made sure that we knew exactly how loved we were and how appreciated we were and how important we were. And that's why you work hard. And that's why you sacrifice. And that's why you do the difficult things so that other people can have, especially when they're they're people that you love. (sighs)
0: So let's talk a little bit about your brother. I want to climb up Success Mountain pretty quick. Let's talk about brother... And kind of what that was like for you growing up.
1: My brother was amazing. You know, it's tough. It's tough when you're, I was, you know, I was athletic. I was smart. I had a lot of friends and I had an older brother who was three years older that was different. You know, he stuttered profusely, which was uncomfortable for him especially, but it was really uncomfortable too for people that were around him. He was autistic. So he acted differently. You know, he could tell you how many, he could read the Bible and memorize it, but he couldn't tell you how many pennies were in a dollar. And, you know, he's just a different cat. And growing up, I knew that. I tried to protect him and limit his exposure to people that could hurt him, but growing up in you know, up public housing, and it's not necessarily the greatest crop of human beings that live there, and it was unavoidable pretty much every day where he was going to get bullied and I was going to have to fight for him. So it was a very constant part of my life having that responsibility in my life that I gladly took, and I think I probably seized it more than had it placed upon me.
0: So for a guy growing up in the 70s, goes off to probably decent high school, how much of your time was spent in college? I never went to college. All right. Here's my point. We're going to get into it because if you start off the show with a gentleman of selfless service, then you get to realize and you look really, really quick. You lost your brother in a car accident in 1989. Yep. It puts you into a real a dark time in your life that lasted, from what I read, about 13 long years, unable then to feel love or joy. Correct. And during that period, however, you proudly served your country. So first and foremost, thank you for that service. To many is an incredible thing. Thank you for protecting us and keeping us safe. It talked about as a United States Army, also the intelligence analyst, and as a veteran of the Persian Gulf War. Now, after four years enlisted, ended in 1993, you went on to continue to serve to protect, this time as a police officer. And then after the tragedy of 9 11, you were one of the first hires of the newly formed United States Federal Air Marshal Service. Let's talk about that's a span of some time. So, 89 to 9 11 fill in some gaps in there, kind of you serving our country, serving as a police officer, and then deciding I'm going to be an air marshal. Now you're serving our air country. I mean, you're laying by sea. You're like everywhere now. So I want to learn a little bit about that journey today.
1: Yeah. So upon graduating, a month after I graduated, my brother was killed in a car accident. And then a month after that, I left for the army. So there wasn't a whole lot of grieving time that happened. I had to quickly turn around and grow a sack and become, become a man real quick. Mm. So I went to the military, served in the army for four years. I was stationed in Germany for three years, just outside of Munich, which was phenomenal. And I was in, worked for the Arm, US Army Intelligence. Specifically, we worked for NSA. That was our parent intelligence community that we worked for, collecting voice and data intercepts from back then the USSR and their allies, which was fun. You know, it was a great job. I got to spy on foreign countries and you know, I have secrets that I got to keep for the rest of my life. So that's always cool to have a little bit of a leg up on other people that don't know what's going on. Got out after four years because I realized that the military climate at that time, Clinton was in office, he cut the military in half and getting promoted was pretty difficult. So and I always knew I wanted to be a cop. My mom dated a cop when I was six. His name was Leroy and he let me sit in his car and wear his hat. And I was hooked from that moment on. So I got out and I became a cop. And from that day, until today, I've served for 25 years, and I've moved around a lot. I'm not a stick-and-stay kind of guy. I could never work 30 years in any one place. I don't think it's even <laughs> remotely close to anything I could do. So I've worked from the time I became a police officer until 9-11. I'd worked in two different police departments before 9-11. And then when 9-11 happened, I saw President Bush the next day state that he was reenacting. what was called the Sky Marshal Program. They created a new agency called the United States Federal Air Marshal Program, and that's kind of when I made a decision to get back into the more global fight to keep people safe. So
0: serving for the last 25 years, law enforcement, look, you and I didn't know each other some five, six months ago, you reached out, kind of shared a couple of messages back and forth. And I said, Hey, you know, I I love what you're up to. And then since becoming just acquaintances and then blossoming into a nice friendship and and really getting to know each other. So I watch what you get to do and you've got a really an amazing kind of gift and story. And we're going to talk a little bit about kind of where your life is transitioning, not necessarily away from, but more towards a new form of service and something that really speaks to your heart and is more kind of, I think, and allow you to do more of what you really love, which is get on stage, tell your story, encourage others and show people kind of by holding up a mirror, like, hey, you too can do this, right? So, you know, in 09, it looks like you co-founded the company Max Out, which is a fitness-based business that manufactures and sells its patented strength training equipment. Tell me a little bit about how this entrepreneurial mind got started, right? You're, you're a cop yeah. every day. Here you go. I have a picture of a cop not being in the fitness business, but I'm thinking of a cop being in the donut and coffee business.
1: Yeah, you're going to get a little bit of a surprise on this one. So I'll preface it with I wrote a book, and, and we'll talk about more about that later. But when you write a book, you kind of have to go back and review your life, especially when you write a memoir, and you sort of get a really good picture of how things connect and where you were at different points in your life. And I realized that in high school, as an entrepreneur, without hmm. even knowing what that word meant. You know, I had a term paper writing business where I would write <laughs> term papers for money without ever reading the books that they were on. And I was very good at it. I had a small little marijuana sales business when I was in high school as well. And I also Did you had to disclose that during
0: your interview process? Yeah, yeah.
1: it's it's yeah, it's all out in the open now. <laughs> and I'm at the end of my career. What are they gonna do? Fire me? I know. Um and then I had a little bit of a, I stole 2000 hall passes and I learned how to forge three signatures of teachers and I would get called out of class for two bucks. I would sell a hall pass. So it started then. And throughout my life, I had a bodyguarding business that I started shortly after 9-11 as well. And I did bodyguarding for athletes and CEOs. And I kind of always knew I wanted to have control over some aspects of my life, even though it wasn't necessarily my full-time career. And then in '09, of course, during a recession, we decided to open a business, which is brilliant, pun intended. And I borrowed $150,000 from somebody who became my business partner. And we founded this company, Maxat, which was based out of Winter Park, Florida, originally. It actually was invented at the University of Florida, the device
0: itself. And I love it. You were talking about Bodyguard, and I, I literally was sitting here on the Googler and looking up the Hitman Bodyguard too, because they're in works to make that movie. Did you happen to see that movie?
1: Oh yeah I love I so was movie. Thinking
0: of, I was thinking about you the whole time. I'm like, you could be Ryan Reynolds. I was like, would you be more like Ryan Reynolds or Samuel Jackson? What do you think?
1: I have, the, I have Samuel Jackson's vernacular. that would be yeah. more I have a little bit of a, a wry wit, yeah. kind of like yeah. Ryan, Ryan Reynolds.
0: You know what, Matt, one of the interesting parts about getting to know you and watching you. Is I'm like, I'm watching a guy like in the season of life, right? In this moment of this lifetime right here where you can feel like you say, what are they going to do? Let me go, right? There's this transitional mindset that's coming on board. Like You've had such a service mindset for so long and now it's been amplified and the universe is sending so many good signals your way. What's life like for you right now? Give me the heightened kind of awareness that you have going on in your life right now.
1: It's amazing. My clarity is ridiculous right now. The things that I'm able to see and envision and then make reality is mind blowing at times. It's very difficult because I have many plates spinning at the same time, but I kind of, I've grown up in chaos my entire life and chaos is kind of like a safe place for me mm-hmm. at times.
0: A lot of people can't relate to that. I totally relate to it. I'm better when there's a lot going on than the way there's a little. When there's a little, I get scared squirrely and something's probably going to go down that's bad. When I have a lot going on, I don't have any time to do anything but just get everything done. I'm not
1: a good idle time guy. I do have moments where I need peace, like I'm sitting on the water at the beach. But other than that, I don't want to be sitting around doing nothing. So in my life, you know, I have, I'm a still cop, you know, married for 21 years to the level of my life. I have two kids, one in college, one in high school, both athletes. I have a company that I'm running. I'm the most inspirational speaker. I'm mentoring kids. I'm doing a lot of different things, and all of which I love. But I know that I have to get out of one, specifically law enforcement, because I know that I've reached that pinnacle of where I believe I can get to in that job. And I know that I've left it in a place where it's safe in the department that I'm at. And I told you, I'm part of the hiring process. So I'm actually hiring my replacement. They may not know that, but that's kind of what I'm doing. And that's why I wanted to be hands-on with it, because I wanted to make sure I left them with somebody who was more than capable to take up where I'm leaving off. And, but I know that transition time is happening, mm. and I see it and i feel it and i know it in my bones that it's right and i'm not going to be reckless about it you know i need to make sure that there are certain things in place that allow me to protect my family and ensure that financially i'm providing and that we have medical benefits and all those good things we need to survive And you know i always say i'll be reckless with me 24/7 but i'll never be reckless with my wife and children so anybody
0: listening right now i want you to get something that matt said that it's like the first gold nugget of many gold nuggets that i've already been able to really hold but i want to share this with anybody listening so matt just said He's on the hiring team, right? He's on the hiring process to basically hire his replacement. If you will ever want to get to the next level in life and you don't have the courage to just walk in and quit and then go do it, first train up by hiring your replacement. Train them up and then move up. And that's the skill to life. Like I tell people all the time, I look at my team here at Chip Offers. I said, hey, the key to getting ahead is so let's hire and train your replacement. Before you can do that, let's write out some SOPs so we know what we're bringing in somebody for. Then let's figure out the next career move for you, right? Yep. Um, I love what you're doing because really what you're doing is you're already in service even on your exit because a person of service never stops being of service. A person who's truly life is committed to service is always trying to get better, right? And by helping others to get better, you get better yourself. And I mean... Who are some mentors and coaches that you have had in your life to kind of help you prepare for this next chapter?
1: Well, my first mentor was the cop that arrested me when I was sixteen, who made the decision to take me under his wing rather than throw me to the wolves, mm. and you know to this day he's still a mentor to me, helped me you know, go in the military. That was the you know he was a marine, obviously I didn't go in the marines, but he helped me get my first cop job. You know he was my commander on a SWAT team. Like there's a lot of moments where I was able to thank him by being excellent for him and. To this day, he's still a mentor. And and then I have some really positive and powerful people in many different industries and business in the psychology side where I do a lot of human performance and body language training. And I have a buddy of mine that uses DISC. He owns one of the largest DISC values index profiles companies. And he's a guy that I can go to for counsel because he's been through just about everything in in business. And I'm starting to count on you as somebody that I can go to when I need 15 minutes of clarity. And there's a lot of people that I'm kind of hard with trust in my life of growing up the way I grew up and doing the job that I've been doing for so long, trust is, is something that is earned. And it's been very difficult for me in this transition component, especially into the inspirational speaking world and the coaching and or whatever you want to call it world, because there's a lot of imposters out there and there's a lot of people that are trying to come at you and say, Oh, I can help you get to here and I can help you do this and follow this blueprint and you'll get to there. And quite frankly I just want to give them both the all in the double middle finger and tell them to go pound sand because I'm never going to follow Anyways, like I'm not that guy. I don't conform and I always want to figure stuff out for myself I do ask for help But I always need to be the one that is in control of the solving of the problem and whether that's good or bad I don't know but that's how i'm wired So
0: I like the fact that you said something about the trust component Then you are able to to ground it all the way back into kind of your upbringing but also so I have a brother, an adopted brother who was a police officer and had just a kind of a difficult upbringing, came to live with my dad and myself, super cool guy, police officer. And there's always been, and I've even had this conversation, there's just a level of a layer that's hard to penetrate. And I don't know if it's his Kevlar jacket if it's, hey, you don't want to know all that I know, because I've seen too much as a police officer. He worked in two really difficult areas in California, East Palo Alto, and also Vallejo, California, a lot of gangbang and that kind of stuff, and just difficult. How, as you kind of grow and get to the next level, the next kind of step in your career, how do you let a little bit less of that Kevlar show and a little bit more of the heart come out so that, you can hurt and feel, but in a different compassion, in a different way. How do you think you can do that?
1: I'll deal with your brother, what you were saying about your brother. And, and it is, a lot of it is based on what you've seen. You can't unsee or unexperience life. Mm-mm. The things that you've seen, if you've seen so much negativity and so much deceit and lying and crime and poverty and pain that builds in you. And even if it's not intentional, it just stays there. And even though I can compartmentalize it and I don't have... You know, I've seen a lot of really bad things and I don't have nightmares or anything like that, but it's in there. And I know it's in the recesses of my brain and it's filed away somewhere, but it's part of who I am. Right. And for me, going into this new space that I'm going into, what I've done is I've taken two very clear paths that I know I'm going to stick to. One is I'm going to tr- always trust my gut because it's never been wrong. And Number two, I'm going to use the reference system where if I have somebody that I know, it's got to start with you know the nucleus. I got to have my nucleus of people that I know and trust that, I, yep. that have my best interest and then referrals based on their knowledge and trust of those individuals, which then allow me to take at least a 60% chance of success rate with that Are person. You're saying
0: like a lot of vetting. Like, would you say there's some vetting yeah. in there?
1: Well, it's vetting. It's vetting through knowledge of people that I know yep. and trust. And I'm not just going to give somebody money to say, you're going to be my coach or you're going to do this for me or you're going to do that for me because I just can't. I can't go there. Trust wise, but I can take a friend of mine who's used that person and said, These people are the best. They've done this for me. Trust me, they're good. And then I'll make that decision because I have that person who's given me that level of reference. No,
0: I love it. And talking just about for my brother, just for a second, he's been able to transition away. He injured out, couldn't shoot a gun anymore, and has been able to go on to a very successful career in the Bay Area in real estate. And, And it makes me proud, like, you know, that he didn't allow what I love this. This is like one of my favorite things. So like your message is in your mess. You really like the mess that you get through. That's your message. You can go out and change lives and change the world. But most importantly, you can change yourself. And he's been able to do that. And he's rebounded beautifully. You got a great family. And I, I admire people who've gone through hell and now bring other people in a different way through life. And, you know, like, I'm just watching you and listening to you today. It reminds me a lot about my brother. It just reminds me a lot of the things that I've seen growing up. You got to have your good core group of people. So I got to imagine you talked about your wife, 21 years of marriage, two kids, one in college, one in high school, both great athletes. Tell me how you've been able to take all of the stuff you see on the streets, come home, and then be the dad that your kids need and the husband that your wife so needs and flip that switch. Because I've always wanted to know how you can do that.
1: The easiest, there's two halves to my life post my brother's death. He's been dead close to 30 years now. And For the first 13 years, we referenced it in the beginning, that my 13 years of darkness, and I say, and where I couldn't, I was so heartbroken, I was so devastated over his death that I couldn't allow myself to love. I was so guilt-ridden over the fact Mm -hmm. that he died and I didn't. I was so angry at God for allowing my brother to go, who was pure and innocent, and I was this knucklehead who had a lot of potential, but I wasn't living up to it, and why was my brother the one that was chosen to go? And I couldn't reconcile that. I let it sit and fester inside of me and eat away at me, to the point where I was useless as a human. I was going out and I had this facade where I was out there kicking down doors and taking names and saving people and putting myself in, in situations where I was in peril, but I was coming out somehow looking like a, a hero. But I was putting myself there intentionally to die. I wanted God to take me. I wanted to, If I was going to go, I was going to go out trying to save somebody, but I certainly wanted to go. And that was the first 13 years until I had this moment of grace that God placed upon me and allowed me to heal allowed me to come out of that darkness and allowed me to begin to forgive myself. And then from that moment, you know, the 13 years I was a horrible father. I was a provider. I was security. I was a protector. But emotionally, I provided nothing for my daughter. And I, I hate that I have to say that. I hate that that is real. I hate that that happened. And my wife got probably even less from me during that time. And, you know, that's brutal to have to admit that for that period of time, I was such an asshole. For How I much was, of
0: that came out in A Brother's Love?
1: All of it. That was the... That was what happened. I was given a gift of a quilt from my grandmother the week my brother died he was staying with my grandmother, and she'd kept all his clothes for 13 years and turned it into a quilt that she gave to me on the birth of my son, who I named after my brother. And it's not that my brother, that my son's birth was any better or worse than my daughter's birth or any more important. For whatever reason, that was when God said, it's time for you to let go. And that quilt was the first tangible piece of my brother that I could hold on to and feel. And it allowed me to connect with him in a way that I wasn't able to before. And uh, it was very important that I had that. That night, I wrote 26,000 words, memories about my brother. I wrote all night, turned into my book. And God is real in my life. And he allows me to serve him now in a greater way because I didn't for such a long time. And it allows me to go out with a purpose and a knowledge that if I go out and I openly share my heart and I share my brother's story, And I share my story of of darkness and recovery and how you can take that gift and turn it into something great. It's not overnight. It takes time. But if you consistently move that needle forward, that life will return the favor to you.
0: There's a little blurb on your website. It says, I was so busy being my brother's keeper that I never realized the phenomenal human being my brother Andy had become. It took Andy's death for me to realize the role model I had lost. So yeah. what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a second to uh, just collect yourself. Tell you thank you for sharing. There's still a lot of pain you can tell. There's also a lot of happiness because I think that darkness that you went through, that love and that joy. But you also have those stories too. A lot of us have never even taken time to write down memories of our sister, brother, mom, dad, and for you to go and write, you know, well over twenty six thousand words and just drop it all down, start sharing stories. I was talking to somebody last night about this. If you want to do something phenomenal for yourself take your iPhone, smartphone out, find the recording button on it and start asking people that you love questions. Send it to a free system like otter.ai, RevTrack. I don't care what system or service you find and let the words get transcribed. And then you can take that and you can start putting together a book. It's really, really easy, right? It's just a process. But I think there's also something that I've gotten from this process with you today, which is the healing process. See, because in my head, it's fantasy. And until I speak it, it does not become possibility. It's just a fantasy. And so by you getting things out of your head, now that has become a reality. You Mm -hmm. took something that was in your head stuck, you shared it with somebody that became possibility. And the reality is, you've written a book about Andy. Your son has his name. You've done so much with everything that you've gone through to get to this point. What we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and we're going to start our way down success mountain today talking to Matt and about overcoming obstacles. But the thing that is so like right in front is service is there. Yeah, I got to tell you, service is there. But I think your dedication to excellence is there. And that means, hey, I got to do a lot and to step into all sorts of situations from a federal air marshal to being in the army, to being a police officer over 25 years, getting ready to retire out. Also, you know, being married for 21 years, a lot of great things. Commitment is right there at the top. So when we come back, we're going to do a quick little commercial break and we'll be right back on the Be Fulfilled show. Are you suffering from marketing dysfunction? Are you not able to perform online as well as you could when you were younger? Unable to keep up with the intimate demands of buying product, running offers, and shipping items to your customers? Say hello to ShipOffers, clinically proven to enhance the growth and longevity of your business. Get some today at ShipOffers.com. We are back on the Be Fulfilled Show. My name is Tony Grebmeier. Today's guest has literally got us to the top of success mountain and left us on a pretty touching, I call it my cliffhanger moment, where we're talking about the thing inside of us that causes us to stop. That's the thing when we know that, you know what, what I'm doing is for all the right reasons. It's either all the right reasons or for it's all the wrong reasons, but it causes me to stop and to check my motives. And the person I've got on the show today, his motives are of service. He just wants to be of service. He wants to help. He wants to inspire. He wants to lift up. He wants to say, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, and I'm willing to help you get to that next level. I love the piece about, I'm not going to go out and buy a coach. I'm not going to go out and get somebody to do it because ultimately they're not in my head. They're not in me. And you've got this really touching, powerful relationship to going on with your family, your journey, your story. It's so crystal clear, Matt, to really understand a life of service. One must give up almost everything so that they can serve selflessly. They just give them themselves without anything in return. Tell me some of the things that you've been able to do by leading with such a service-based mindset. Like just give me the 30 second the movie's coming out this week. I'm interviewing the guy who's in the movie. Give me the 30 second highlight reel really quick. Of some cool things if you've got an experience over your 25 year career.
1: First and foremost, I lead my children by example. That is my greatest gift that I have is to be able to be their leader, someone that they can emulate the person I want my son to be and the person I want my daughter to marry. That's who I want to be with my career I've done everything from being Tebow's bodyguard to delivering a baby in the front seat of a Toyota to being picked up in a tornado in my police car and dropped two blocks to you know helping a kid who had a chain broken off his bike fix it. I mean, I've done everything from top to bottom. I've served my country. I've been to war. I've spied on the enemy. And now I want to take all that information and I want to put it into a, a package that allows me to touch lives in a way that makes me impactful and, and, quite frankly, remembered. Because at the end of the day, your legacy is all that you're left with. and. I want people to remember me and I want them to remember me finally as somebody who impacted their life.
0: Yeah, it's hard, Like, right? It's easy for us to share about everybody else. But when we got to start talking about ourselves, we kind of pause for the cause and we're like, oh yeah. But I will tell you, just watching you, I've seen it. You go to your website. I'm going to spell it out. So anybody who's listening, I'll put all of it in the show notes, but it's M-A-T-T, just like his last name, C-U-B-B-L-E-R.com. And if you go there, you're going to see it. You're going to see it from I mean, the people that you have had a chance to interact with from the news stories, from Entrepreneur Magazine, Local News, The Herald, it just goes on and goes on. And everybody says, we invited Matt to speak to our athletes on leadership. Little did we realize his message he delivered would be the Kickstarter of something bigger. It just, you read after story after story. So when you reached out to me, I did exactly what I was asked. Hey, go check out my story. Go see who I interact with. You know, Go do your own vetting process. I vet everybody that I connect with. If I don't know you, I don't want to get to try to spend hours getting to know you. I want to feel you when I talk to you. I want your story to resonate with me, who you are and your message. So you've been able to do that. What are some things that you are kind of encouraged about as you make this turn? My mom calls it like three quarters around the track. It's the, you get one time around the track and now you've got some mindset and awareness. As you make this journey around, what's life looking
1: like for you? What do you see coming your way? I envision myself, I guess, now I've had a, trust me, I've had a lot of voices in my head from people <laughs> that, and including my own voices, who are trying to tell me where they think I'm going to be the most impactful and where my journey should take me. And I had to sit down and really think about what I really care about and what do I really want the world to know me as. I believe my most impactful place where I can do the most amazing things is in the life of kids. I'm not a big fan of adults. I'm just not. I don't interact well with people that are also alpha males. We all clash heads and everybody wants to be the biggest, baddest in the room. and, And I'm not about that. I find that to be in this industry, a lot of that. And it's not necessarily attractive or something I'm interested in. But I do see myself impacting the lives of kids, whether it's through programming in schools, I have a leadership anti-bullying program I'm unleashing next month, hopefully. It's currently being done in a couple of schools in western Pennsylvania, but I have a, a meeting with a school locally here to do the whole program and it's going to be a generational impactful change that'll attract you know, pretty much end the bullying epidemic is my plan. And I think mentoring kids, I don't think there's enough positive energy in, in <laughs> kids' lives. I've mentored probably 75 kids in the last 30 years. I was mentored as a kid. And I think having someone outside of the family unit Somebody that believes in a kid and, and that a kid believes in because of the trust factor and that you know, you've proven your worth by doing the things that you say you're going to do when you're going to do it is important to a kid. And I found out that the kids that I deal with, that I mentored, whether it's through law enforcement or through my business at Max Out, that relationship grows and it spreads out and they take that mentoring and they see the value of it. And I know that they're doing it already to other kids that they've had. contact. And I'm talking, these are only 24, 25 year old kids that are now mentoring 13 year olds because they know how much of value it was to them.
0: All right. It all ends today. Would you want somebody to know, what would someone lean over to your kids and say about you? What would they say? What would someone come up and say, besides I read some testimonials, we talked about your successes, we talked about it, but what would your wife say to your kids today about <sighs> their dad?
1: Dude, I'm going to cry.
0: I don't try to ask these questions to get people emotional. Jesus just,
1: Christ, I, I, dude. <laughs> all right. I want my wife to know that every hour I wasn't home and every holiday I missed was because I was changing the world and making it better.
0: I got it. You know, it's um, it's one of those things, you know, like the internet's crazy, bro. Like in a couple of minutes, we're super connected. Like we get a chance to see each other at a heightened level today where, you know, when we first knew each other, you're kind of an outsider looking in on my world. I'm the humbled one. I'm, the, I'm a grateful one to be able to be connected with you. You know, it's crazy. We didn't, We had one kind of friend or two in connection and now as we're growing and getting to know each other, there's a lot. Who are some great people that you would recommend that you've really found on your journey online? People that you maybe met online, maybe built a relationship offline that you recommend people follow that you like personally that have been really impactful in your journey. I know you do a lot of stuff on LinkedIn. You're good on social media. So I see that. But who are some people you recommend that folks follow?
1: Well, number one, I would say Tim Tebow. There isn't a better... Example of what a servant is than him. He does some amazing things, and and it's legit. He's not an image or a persona; it's real, and he comes from a great family. and And so I would I would definitely say him, John Vroman, who is the first person that allowed me to have an opportunity to have a platform on a podcast. He is the front row factor. Is his front row factor is his podcast, and he's an inspirational speaker. Does a lot of great stuff with philanthropy and just a great human being. Chris Lockhead, Legends and Losers podcast. Chris is a brilliant business mind. He is a lot like me in that he is counter to anything that people say you should do. He does the opposite, which is kind of like I am. And he's been uber successful in, in finding ways to take differences and make them greatnesses. And then most recently, I was with Joshua Berglund, who is deep. That's the word to describe him. His Gratitude Unfiltered podcast I was on and just a deep human being who who's been through shit and has come out with a vision and a passion and a bravery and a courage that allows them to just accomplish without fear.
0: I like it. So what we're going to do is we're going to transition a little bit over to the fulfillment round and we're going to ask some more intriguing questions. A couple things that you can't do. You can't a pull out your gun on me, just no matter what kind of question I ask you. Number two, no phone a friend, no running for the hills. I want to get back to that 14-year-old kid. If you were slinging something, I need you to sling some of that on this because these questions are coming from left field. Like They have no way of being wrong. They just have a way of you having fun answering them. Cool? I'm in. All right. Elementary school crush. Ooh, Amy Taggart. All right.
1: She knows it too. (laughs) That's
0: good. Growing up, what was your favorite kind of a weekend thing to do? What was something that you look forward to doing on the weekends when you're a little kid?
1: Me and my brother, especially in rainy days, we had a game. We lived in apartments mostly in our, throughout our life and we had a, always lived on one floor and we would start. It was called, you've ever seen like the goal line stand where a running back jumps over the pile and gets flipped over into the end zone? Mm-hmm. We, called, we had a simulated game to that called over the top and one would be the running back, one would be a defensive lineman and you'd run from the hallway into the bedroom, jump over and you'd flip them onto the bed. So that was kind of our, the greatest game that I can remember playing with my brother. Where were you when September 11th happened? I had just finished doing a high risk drug search warrant and gotten home, went to bed, and it was about 8 My It was before cell phone, before I had a cell phone. And uh, my house phone was ringing, and my best friend, who's now the chief of police of the local police department here, said, Turn on your TV. And I said, and He told me about planes being flown into buildings. And I said, If they're not flying them into my house, don't bother me. And then my phone just kept ringing. And then I finally turned on the TV and saw what happened. And I got very angry, <laughs> to say the least.
0: Something that is a favorite pastime that you, your wife, and your kids love to do when you're all together?
1: We like to sit around and watch a good movie. That's our biggest thing. We like to find a comedy that we all like to just disconnect from the busyness of life and watch something that is just pure entertainment. So what's a good comedy for you that you've seen recently? Uh, Recent? well, my favorite is Step Brothers. I can watch that. I have an alert on my phone anytime it comes on TV. So I, 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 I went to school with Adam Scott. One of the guys that wrote it, yeah.
0: So no, Adam's the other brother. He's the mean brother. Oh, he's Derek. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we, I just fifty year anniversary of our school came up, and they showed some pictures of him. And in his high school yearbook, he was most likely to win an Academy Award. Right. I so I, I look at it and I'm like, but. you basically have won an Academy Award. You've been in so many darn movies. So Step Brothers, are you more? Who do you relate to more of a character? Which brother do you relate more to?
1: I'm definitely Will Ferrell. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you would streak down a street if you late at night? Oh, I'd be
1: tank the tank. I have no doubt. Yeah, I did it in Costa Brava, Spain. I did that from a hotel to the Mediterranean Ocean. It was about four blocks, butt naked. It was fun. Was that last week or like long? That no, was when I was when I was in the army. Okay, just making sure. I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just making sure anybody listening
0: to this, this isn't last week. This is old. Yep. This is old, Matt. <laughs> Nineteen ninety-one. Well, man, I just want to say I got two more questions for you. What was it like for you? I mean, I know Tim Tebow could probably protect himself, but what was it like for you to just to get to know Tim?
1: It was weird because I was doing a, I was head of security for the largest football awards program. And he was a sophomore in college and won the award. And I didn't normally do any protecting. I was usually just coordinating everything and nobody wanted to protect him because he was the weird Christian kid. So I said, all right, I'll do it. And after that first night, I knew there was something special about him. And I got to know his, his mom and dad and his brothers and, sisters, and Aunts and uncles, and it just sort of formed this bond. And they told me that I would be their guy, and they would take good care of me, and they did. And being in that inner circle at the early stages was cool. I'm no longer in the inner circle. The inner circle is very small now, (laughs) but I'm still have access. But it's not not like it used to be because it's just a different world when you become Tim Tebow, the brand versus Tim Tebow, the football player. So it was amazing, and it I learned more from him during those four and a half years than I've learned from any other athlete that I ever worked with. Just about life and sacrifice and commitment and being dedicated to one thing, which is serving God in a way that he believes God wants him to serve. So I learned a lot about that.
0: You and I are going to get together soon. We're going to go out and we're going to meet and I'm coming to your town. Where's a place that you would take me for a good burger, good fries, maybe a good rack of ribs. Like, what kind of place would we go hang out at?
1: Listen, you're not coming to Philly area without going to get a cheesesteak. So, oh man, I thought uh, I could get away with it. Like, I heard like cheese whiz is
0: something you love putting on your Philly's.
1: Oh, it's a staple. Fried onions and cheese whiz. You go to DeLisandro's, which is the place, the best place to go. Pat's and Gino's are the ones that everybody talks about. They're the commercial ones, but DeLisandro's is the best place to get a good certified deep, strong. So, what's on your Philly? What do you put on your Philly? Whiz with, that's it. Cheese whiz and fried onion. That's how you order, by the way, whiz with. No H really? on the end of the It's W-I-T. I like it. Man. Matt,
0: I want to say thank you. We're going to put everything that you've got that you've given us today on the show, from the people to follow to your book, your website, how to get in contact with you, how to if you're listening today and you're like, hey, I like Matt's story. I want to learn more about Matt. Love to learn what he can maybe come into our organization, our school, wherever, you know, maybe you could just find a way to get connected with Matt. A good person to follow. Look, I don't allow a lot of people into my inner circle. I'm the guy who get a lot of friend requests, but I don't say yes to a lot of people because at the end of the day, when someone calls me on the phone and says, what do you know about this guy, Matt? Right? I want to be able to say exactly what I'm about to say is great guy. I've gotten to know him. He's somebody that I really, really trust and definitely want to get to know more. I'm on the outside looking in and the more that I'm outside looking in, the more I'm actually on my way into the inner circle with them versus just some guy on the fringes. So I just want to say thanks for doing that, for coming on the show today, for being a stand-up guy, reaching out. You didn't have to ask to be on the show, but that just shows me another of your commitments to getting ahead in life is like, you're humbling yourself to say, hey, look, for me to grow, I got to ask. I can't do it all on my own and I want to give back. And so I just want
1: to say thank you for being a guest today on the show. It was a pleasure. And I truly do appreciate everything that you've provided to me thus far.
0: All right. So what we're going to do is we're going to end the show. And my name is Tony Grebmeyer. This is what I love about this show because you are left with one last good piece of insight coming. And it's not coming from me today. It's coming from our guest. Something along your journey, Matt, something along your journey that has resonated so much with you that you still say it or live in such a way with it every single day that you've heard on your journey. Give me one piece of wisdom and one we'll the show today.
1: Life is made of two dates and a dash. Make the most of your dash. Tim said that to me. It's probably been said by someone else, but I heard it from Tebow and he said, you got to make the most of every bit of your dash because you don't know when that end date's going to be.
0: Awesome. Well, my name is Tony Grebmeyer. That is Matt. And until next time, no matter where you go, no matter what you do, choose to make today the best day of your life. Thanks for listening to today's show. But before you go, let me ask you a question. How would you like to be the architect of your journey in this game we call life? Take the next step now at trainersanddrivers.com and download my free mini course designed to give you more clarity and freedom in your day. It might just change your life forever. Forever.